according to the News and Observer, in America today, one out of every 100 people will be in prison. One out of every 100 people in America will be in prison. That's kind of startling to know the state of the country that we live in, the violent state. And if that's true, then there's probably a couple of you guys missing right now. Uh, should be here in prison somewhere. Uh, you know, that's the world we're in. Violent. And, you know, when you consider Easter, the resurrection, you cannot escape the violence. Murder is a part of what we celebrate this day. And so, because we are remembering the murder as well as the resurrection, I'm going to ask that we turn in a Bible to Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis chapter 4 is the account of the very first murder ever. And you're thinking, well, why are we talking about Cain and Abel on Easter? Well, first of all, there is a similarity between the murders. Uh, there is a similarity between Abel. Uh, there are some hints of the resurrection, the hints of the cross that I want to bring out in Genesis chapter 4. And plus, that's just what I happen to be studying at this point, going through Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to work this morning. You just got to listen and, uh, and, and believe me on this. It'll, it'll, it'll point to Jesus Christ uh, and specifically the cross. And so we're going to raise Cain up and we're going to go to the cross with this and, and uh, see how the Lord leads in this. And uh, what I'm going to ask that you do, we're going to look at different aspects of this, this chapter, but we're going to concentrate specifically on verses 1 through 16. I'm going to bring out the rest, but especially 1 through 16. And we're going to read that together. And as we read it, if you'll honor what we read by standing as we read it together, you read it silently as I read it aloud to you. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a till of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought out the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength, a fugitive, and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the, thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, 
on the east of Eden. You may be seated. What I'd like to first bring out to you, we're going to look at the message of Abel, then the sins of Cain, and then the mercies of God throughout this chapter. But first, let's consider the message of Abel. Did you know that Abel is the first prophet to walk this earth? He is the first prophet. I know that because Jesus himself refers to him as a prophet. You see this uh, account in Matthew 23, verse 29, as well as Luke 11, chapter 50. Let me read to you Luke 11, chapter 50, just so you know, when Jesus is talking in this passage, he's talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, who would just, by the end of the week, be the ones instigating his death. He's talking to the ones who are conspiring to kill him, and he says... The blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. What he's saying is that these scribes, these Pharisees that are plotting to kill me, you are just like the ones who have been throughout all of history, killed the righteous beginning with Abel, the prophet Abel to the prophet Zechariah. And Jesus is saying, Abel, I'm in the same vein. Just as the wicked killed Abel, so too the wicked religious will kill me. And he says, Abel is a prophet. Well, if he is a prophet, what is he, pre what is he preaching? What is he declaring if he is a prophet? I would say, first of all, he is proclaiming a message by his worship, and then he proclaims a message by his death, both of them. Uh, prophetic in nature. Let's get the background here. Uh, just so you remember, Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation account. Uh, God's working and establishing the earth and the order as we know it. Genesis chapter 3 is the uh, pivotal chapter in the entire book of the Bible. Uh, up next to the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus is Genesis 3. Because in Genesis 3, you have mankind rebelling against God, sinning, and therefore, because Adam and Eve both sinned, Every human being is tainted with this sin nature. What does that mean for you and me? It means simply, we do not have to teach... Okay, a lot of things we have to teach our children, but we do not have to teach them this. We no longer have to teach our children how to be selfish. All right? They've got it. They're born with it. We can just try to moderate it as best we can. They've got it down. We don't have to teach them how to lie. All right? Uh, we can try to perfect their lying... But they've got it down. Uh, they learn, and guess what, guys? They learned the perfecting of the lie from us. <laughs> uh, so that's what we've got. That's life as we know it. Cain and Abel come into the picture. But in Genesis 3.15, God gives a promise to Eve. He, he, he says to Eve, Eve, you will have a seed, singular, referring to one specific person. And then he refers to the seed of the serpent, the one who deceived Eve, and said this, You will have a seed, Eve, who will be wounded by the seed of the serpent on the heel. In other words, there will be some wound done, but not fatal. But the seed of Eve will crush the serpent's head. This seed, this one, this one who comes from, from woman, will be there to devastate Satan, who will give a mortal, eternal wound. To the serpent. That's the promise given to Eve. So, as you get to Genesis chapter 4, you can imagine what she might be anticipating when she has a child. 
we get a glimpse of it when she names her first son. It says in verse 1, she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. The name Cain literally means acquire, or similar to it sounds like the word acquire. Uh, well, in English, we might say got, okay? Um, so if you can imagine, she named her son got. I got. Uh, what did she get? She got a man. What do you think she was thinking of? Perhaps this is the one that God referred to in Genesis 3.15. I have acquired a seed. Maybe this selfishness or this shame, this death that I'm feeling, and this pain I had in bringing Cain to be, maybe it will come to an end through Cain. Her hopes were set high, and there will be dashed. Uh, so... That is the anticipation here. We've got a, a little biographical information in verse 2. Abel is a, a keeper of the sheep. Cain is a till of the ground, kind of taking the mantle of Adam, who also had the same job of taking care of the ground. And then in verse 3, we find that there is time for worship. There's time for worship. And here in verse 3 and 4, we get the first message of Abel, the prophetic word from Abel. Uh, evidently, God had given them instruction not recorded in our our written word concerning sacrifices. God had sometime taken Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel aside and said, look, this is how I want you to worship me. You're to have sacrifices. And he evidently gave them a specific manner in which to do that. And we see some hints of that in the text here this morning. And so, consequently, you have Cain and Abel coming together. And the end result, Cain gives an offering, gives fruit of the ground. Abel gives an offering, gives of the livestock, the best of what he had is what the Bible says, the fat and the firstlings of what he had uh, to give an offering. And when they give an offering, God accepts the offering of Abel and does not accept the offering of Cain. It's done in some obvious manner. Maybe a fire came down and consumed it. I do not know. But some obvious manner for Abel and Cain to realize, hey, mine worked, mine didn't. Uh, and so that's the situation. And we ask ourselves, well, God, why are you picking on Cain? You know, what's the problem with Cain's offering? First of all, I would bring out what the text brings out. Uh, and simply, verse 3, it says, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering of them to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel brought firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. In other words, what the text tells us in verse 4 is that Abel gave his best. He gave his best. The ones without blemish, the fat, was the choice part of the animal. He gave his best, whereas Cain just gave some of the fruit. And so right there we see that there is a difference in how they were doing this. Hebrews 11, verse 4, gives some commentary on this offering and says that Abel gave out of faith, whereas Cain did not give out of faith. And therein is a huge difference uh, between an acceptable offering and an unacceptable an acceptable offering has faith, all right? Now, what's the big deal of all this? Well, here's one thing I would bring out, is there is something in the bloodshed of animals that God finds acceptable. Evidently, God had given some instruction in regards to this. We find this later on as well. Uh, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, these readers of Genesis also would have been reading, reading Leviticus, says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. There is in a constant theme throughout the word of God something different about sacrifices that involves the blood of animals. 
Hebrews 9.22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. All right? So in the Old Testament system, in the Day of Atonement, they would have a priest that would come and, and kill an oxen, kill a lamb to represent the blood for all people that God would take the penalty of those people's sins and lay it on that animal as a way of pointing to something. Now, some of you watched uh, the Ten Commandments last night. Uh, if you did, you may be a little groggy this morning because that is a long movie. Uh, but what I want to point to is the historical events behind the Ten Commandments, that movie found in the, in the uh, Bible, in Exodus, uh, that is about the Passover. Some of you wonder, why do we have Easter in March? What's, what's going on with that? Why is it so early? And who sets the time for Easter anyway? Uh, some of you lived your whole life, haven't figured that out yet. All right, here's, here's what, what the basis of it. Easter took place on Passover, okay? Remember, when Jesus had the Last Supper, it was the Passover feast. It was taking place on that event. And the Passover event was based on the lunar cycle, all right? So just so you know, we won't ever have in our lifetime an Easter this early in March again. And from there on, uh, for the rest of our life, it's going to be later. Uh, but that's what it's based on. It's based on the Passover. And you remember what happened the Passover? God uh, was sending the people of Israel out of Egypt, set them free, and told them there's going to be one last plague. The death angel is going to come through and wipe out every firstborn son. And the only way you can avoid this is if you take a lamb and slaughter that lamb take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost, and every doorpost that has that blood, the death angel will pass over. Here you have the theme again. You have it there in the beginning, and Abel, the blood of an animal, the lamb. You have it in the uh, Levitical system, the Old Testament system of worship, the blood of a lamb, of an oxen on the Day of Atonement. You have it on the Passover, the blood of a lamb. And lo and behold, Jesus ups and has himself crucified on Passover. Why? Because there is a theme going out that Abel was prophesying at the very beginning that yes, there will be a seed who must suffer a wound from, the, from Satan. There is a suffering deliverer that will take place, but through the suffering, he will demolish Satan. And that is what you have on the cross, the blood of of the Lamb, which is why on John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist encounters Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit wisdom, he says uh, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did John know that the rest of them didn't? He knew that this was the promised Messiah, and as such, he had to suffer as a lamb with his blood shed. It's interesting that on the the time that Jesus was being crucified, even in the, the Old Testament system, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock while Jesus was on the cross, at the end, the shofars were blowing, saying that the lambs were slain for Passover. And Jesus cried, it is finished. What you have from Abel all the way up to Easter and the resurrection is simply this. Sin must have a, pri a price paid. And the price is death. There must be bloodshed. So when Abel had that sacrifice, it was pointing to Jesus Christ. He was having faith in what Jesus, what God would do through Jesus Christ. Though he did not know his name, he knew Genesis 3.15 that there would be a deliverer. And he was looking forward to that time. Sin 
must have a price paid. And so he's preaching a message. How do you come to God? It's done by faith. Hebrews 11 uh, verse 4 tells us the same, that it's done by faith in him. It says, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See what you have. Abel's offering, the sacrifice, the lamb, was a lamb of faith. His personal faith. When you have the Passover, you had a lamb slain for family. And the Day of Atonement, you have a lamb, an oxen slain for a nation. And when Jesus comes, He is a lamb slain for the entire world. And you have a better blood shed, if you will. Where Abel's was one of faith, Jesus' blood was one of cleansing for the entire world. But listen, Abel preached a message by his worship. He was obeying God, doing it by faith in a prescribed manner. And then he preached a message by his death. Cain slew him. And as such, he did it because of his jealousy uh, before Abel, before God. And it was a message that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will endure persecution. And Jesus himself alludes to it. From Abel to Zechariah, and Jesus includes himself as part of that. That those who live this world for God will be uh, suffer at the hand of this world. Now, that's the message of Abel. I wonder, do you have that message in your heart? Do you have the cleansing work of Jesus in your life? But listen, I want to share with you the sins of Cain. What was his deal? Well, verse 5. He did not respect Cain in his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. What you have in Cain's life is a progression of sins. Abel and Cain were both sinners. They were born sinners. They were born selfish. The difference was Abel had an offering that had faith and alluded to God's saving work that he would do. Cain did not. Cain just produced of some of his crops. He did not obey God in how he was to worship. He did not give his best. Here's the thing. Cain was religious. What do you mean by religious? Religious is man's attempt to get to God. This was Cain's attempt to get to God. The only problem was he did not take God's instructions and thought, you know what? I'm going to get to God any way I can. I'm going to do it on my terms and how I want to do it. I don't, I don't want to be so inconvenienced that I have to get a lamb and slaughter a lamb. This is what I've got. And so I'm going to do what I've got and do the best I can and hope maybe it's enough for God. And then to his horror and to his anger, when the sacrifices go, God does not receive. What do you do with a God like that? I mean, you do the best you can. He doesn't receive it. What kind of God do we serve? He is a holy God. And he is one that has provided a lamb for you. And he asks that you serve and worship in such a way that is dependent on the lamb of Jesus. Not your attempts to get to God. Not your method of being good, of being religious as how you define it, but to worship God on how he defines it. The first murder ever takes place. You know the reason why? It was a religious war. 
It was a religious war. The first murder. And it has been the cause for many, many murders throughout history. Religious wars. A debate on whether or not man's way is good uh, to get to God. And so, he did not respect Cain and his offering. A faithless worship leads to an angry spirit in Cain. An angry spirit in Cain leads to a murderous act. A murderous act leads to a hard heart. And a hard heart leads to a godless, wandering existence. There is a progression that takes place in Cain's life. And so, Cain grows angry and his countenance fell. And God tries to intervene in verse 6 and 7 and try to help him to understand and to, see, to change his course. First, uh, look at John, uh, uh, verse 7. It says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? What is he referring to when he says if you do well? He's evidently referring to some divine standard that God had given him. And if you do not, sin lies at the door and it's desires for you, but you should rule over it. Sin greatly wanted Cain. Sin greatly wants you. It's desiring you. And is looking for an opportunity for it to happen. You think, well, you know, Cain just got angry. I mean, he just loses his temper. You remember Incredible Hulk? I'm a, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in the 70s. I don't like the 70s. <laughs> I hate the fact that I was born there. How to wear bell bottoms. For uh, the 80s. You know, I watched The Incredible Hulk. I love that show. I thought, man, you know what? I could just really take care of some problems if I was Incredible Hulk. You know, nobody would mess with me. And, and, you know, and you know, the whole deal is if he gets angry, then uh, he just loses it. I mean, he had a real temper problem and just, you know, turned into a monster and destroyed everything. And David, David Banner made the understatement of the year. He says, don't make me mad. You don't like me when I'm mad. <laughs> that's the understatement of the year right there. But you know what? I thought, that, I thought that, that's what I need to do. I need to be like that. And so I, I figured out I could snap too. You know, and uh, our, my sister gave me great opportunities to do this. And uh, my, I would just get red. My face would turn red. My ears would get red. My eyes would just kind of change. And my, it got so my sister knew. She knew what was about to happen. And she, she kind of learned, you know, kind of get out of my way. But I would just, I'd find things to try to destroy. You know, I'd just lose my temper. Now y'all laughing at me like you've never done that. I know you've done the same thing. All right. it's, it's a temper tantrum. We all have done that. And I thought, you know what the problem was? I just snapped. But you know what I've learned? I've had problems long before I ever snapped. The problem was in my expectations. You know why we get angry? We get angry because we lose control. Something is not going the way that we want. And we feel like we ought to control it. And something's flying right in the face of that. And it gets us really angry. So the problem really is the idea that we need to control everything. And that's because we think everything revolves around us. And that's because we're selfish. And that's because we're sinners. All right? There's a lot of problems leading way before you ever lose control. It's our expectations about life. And that's what we got going on here with Cain. He snaps. He felt like he could control God. God, why didn't you accept my offering? Why isn't life going how I wanted it to go? Well, I should be in control of this. I'm going to snap. I'm going to, I'm going to take it out on Abel. He's going to blame, just like he 
learned from Adam and Eve to blame one another. Now he's blaming Abel for his misfortunes and his disobedience. And he snaps. He was very angry. and His countenance fell. God tries to intervene, but he does not listen to God. And so we find in verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. We're talking about raising Cain. That's what you got. Cain rose up and killed. Murder. The Lord confronts him about these things. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Now, was, Abel, was God asleep here? Was he just turned the corner and just missed that little thing going on on earth? Hey, whoa, whoa. where's Abel? No. You see, God knew. Genesis 1 and 2 has just described how God created the world with a word. All right? Anybody that can do that knows what's going on. All right? So he knows what's going on. The reason he's asking this question, he's providing opportunity for Cain to repent, to turn his life around. And so he asks him a question. Where's Abel, your brother? What are you going to say, Cain? Cain says, I don't know. Uh, Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Is that my job description to take care of him? You see a callous nature that has gone on in Cain's life. He no longer cares, and he puts up this callous front. It's not my job to look out for my brother. But you know what? 1 John 3, 11 and 12 refers to this scene. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Because murder was in his heart. He did not love his brother. He has a callous nature about him. And so, God, after seeing that Cain will not confess, calls him out. He says, look, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then he gives the cursings upon Cain. For the first time, he actually curses a person. A person. He says, verse 11, so now you are cursed from the earth. Before he has cursed events, he has cursed uh, actions, he has cursed the ground. But now he's cursing Cain. He says, you curse from the earth, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. In other words, you've, been a, you've had a green thumb, but now it's turning to brown. It's not going to work for you, and you're going to have to scavenge over the world. All right? And so, that's what happens. But you notice, even in this punishment, notice his reply in verse 13. Cain whines. He's not repentant. He's just remorseful of the things that he got caught in, and now he's starting to whine over it. You ever heard this whining? Listen, my punishment is greater than I can bear. All right, what is he saying? It's, he doesn't like the fact that he's caught. And now he's trying to get to God and say, can you loosen it up a little bit? Can you lighten it up? He says, surely you drew me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive, a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. He does not yet repent. He's just a little upset that now his life is inconvenienced. <laughs> i got to wander around. Somebody's going to kill me. Well, that would be fitting, wouldn't it? He killed his brother. But he doesn't. And then you see the family line of Cain. A family line of Cain. Verse 16. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. And you know what Nod means? Wandering. The land of wandering. He's homeless on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And some of you are going, time out. (laughs) 
Who, who is Cain marrying? He's got some wife. Who is it? Well, that's the question that often comes. Here's what I would bring out to you, is that if you read in Genesis 5, verse 4 and 5, the next chapter ever, you'll find that Adam and Eve had many sons and many daughters not recorded in the Scripture, and that they lived to be an old age, 930-some years. And some of you think, is that little? I'm going to tell you the atmosphere was different, the bodies were different, the decay of sin was different. Uh, evidently, folks could live longer in that time frame. But can you imagine how many sons and daughters and nieces and, uh, and nephews that could be accumulated in several hundred of years? And evidently these folks were able to produce life, uh, recreate life, uh, or reproduce life many, many years down into their lifespan. So I'm going to say to you, well, uh, well, are you saying Pastor Cain is marrying a sister or a niece? Yeah. He's marrying a sister or a niece. And I would just simply say that the genetic code... Uh, has not been infected by the decay of, of uh, sin at this point, where that can happen. Uh, so yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so just on that little caveat, because I know some of you are wondering about that. Now, the Bible says, she conceived and bore a son, Enoch, built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of a son. You remember what God said that he was to do? He was to wonder, to be a fugitive. But in some sense, he is defying God by building a city. But what will a society be like that flows from Cain? Well, we get a little glimpse. It talks about his family chain till we get this man, Lemek. Verse 19, who himself had two wives. The very first case we ever have bigamy in the Bible was right here from the, the godless descendants of Cain. Now, I'm going to tell you, the Bible does talk about folks that have bigamy and polygamy, but I'm going to tell you, nowhere in the Bible does it commend bigamy and polygamy, and often where you see those cases, you'll see problem after problem after problem that occurs from multiple wives. And so you have this fellow, Mick, who does this, and he has children that were revolutionaries in the society and uh, and inventors and the music area, as well as metalwork, as well as uh, cultivating crops and livestock. Uh, and then we come to this song, verse 23. Lamech makes this song, saying it to his wives. He says, Hear my wives, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and even young men for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. You know what you have here? This is the first case of gangster rap. All right? This is the first case of thug music. Why do I say that? What is he doing? He is making boastful claims about killing people. All right? Here it is. Music, a gift from God. And here they take music, expand it, and then twist it to celebrate murder and to sing about murder. And then he mocks the words of God in verse 24. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, you know what he's doing? He's quoting God's protective uh, promise over Cain. Why did he do that? To protect the life of Cain. To protect human life. And now Cain is twisting it to, to celebrate killing life. He says, I've killed this man. And listen, if Cain's going to be protected, let me protect it 70 times 7. And now he twists the very things that God was doing with these words. And there you have the sins of Cain. Jude 4, verse 4 through 11 refers to Cain. It says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And now verse 10, 
But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts and these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for I have gone in the way of Cain, and I have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What is he saying? These people are spiritual counterfeits trying to pass as believers and to pervert the true faith and divert man from God's grace. They are rebels who hide under the banner of religion. Cain, lifting up the offering of fruit, trying to be religious. Listen, here's one thing I want to end on, the mercies of God. This chapter is filled with the mercies of God. First of all, I think this is brought out when we look at how God confronts Cain. Before Cain ever kills, before he ever kills Abel, verse 6 and 7, the very fact that God was intervening, he says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, it's desires for you, but you shall rule over it. God is giving him a wake-up call. He's given him a way out of sin. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 says that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And you'll find out throughout these scriptures that God will give you a way out when you're tempted. That's what he's doing here with Abel. He says, look, I'm warning you, Abel, you're going down a bad direction with anger ruling your heart. It will not lead you where you want to go. Get out of it. Sin wants you to be angry. But get out of it. Abel refuses. I shared this with some of our men. Um, I, I've, I've done some rock climbing before, and I, I don't really like to rock climb, so you know I'm not looking for any rock climbing buddies. Um, but I've just kind of been pressured into it. And I'm going to tell you, there's no pressure like a seven-old little girl that looks at your daddy and thinks that he's Superman and waits for you to lead the way up climbing a rock. And that's what happened. And I was like, man, i got to climb this rock, you know? And so I, I did, and it's scary. You get up there, you look down, and you, I told her, don't look down, but you know, you get up there, and you look down anyway, and you, and you start trembling, you know? Uh, and, you, and you realize, you know, my body weight is totally dependent on my fingers and my toes. How did I get in this situation? Just my fingers and my toes, you know? And every once in a while, they'll get weak, and they won't be able to keep your weight on. But you know what? Any smart rock climber will have a rope. Okay? And that rope's going to be secured to a nice spot that's not going anywhere. All right? That can support your weight. And so, the idea that when you get to the point where your fingers and toes can no longer hold you, you grab onto that rope. You know what that rope is? That rope is God's mercy to you. It's His grace to you. And sometimes you may feel like you're in a time of temptation and you're feeling like, you know what? I can barely hold on and do what God's called me to do. I can barely have my faith. My fingers and toes are trembling. I'm losing it, God. I'm losing it, God. God's going to give you a rope and say, look, I'm going to provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And for us to fall to the ground, we have to take that rope that God gives us and cast it aside and say, no thanks, God. I just soon fall. That's what Abel did. A Cain did. He took the mercies of God and said, no thanks, God. I'd feel much better if I unleashed my anger on this person. Friends, God's going to give you grace. He's going to give you mercy in the time of your temptation. Just like he did with Cain. Cain cast it aside. But you know what? It's amazing to me because God still extends mercy to Cain. 
Cain murders. God confronts them. And then he gives them the punishment. Verse 11, 12. He says, look, you know what? You're going you're to be cursed. You're going to be fugitive and vagabond. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God gives instruction that if a man kills another human being who is made in the image of God as every human being is, then the penalty is death. That was God's decree in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. But God does not do it. He gives him mercy here and does not kill him and says, look, I'm going to let you go. That is the mercy of God. Friends, understand something. Some of you think, you know what, I'm not getting caught for my sin and you think it's okay. Friends, do not confuse the mercy of God with the acceptance of God. God is just being merciful to you and allowing you a time to repent. Abel, or Cain, does not take it. Instead, despite being a, a recipient of double blessings of mercy, he whines. <laughs> it blows my mind. He whines. And then God still gives him even more mercy over a whining, disobedient human being. Notice... And the cursing, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark on the Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. And I do not know what that mark is. No, no one does. Evidently, some obvious mark that Cain had. But you know what you got? It's the mercy of God. <laughs> Friends, even the very first murder, God's mercy is all over it. If, Jesus, if, if Abel's blood cries out to God then and still cries out to God today, how much more does the blood of Jesus cry out to God? How much more? And let me ask you, what is Jesus' blood crying out in your life? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the blood of Jesus is crying out to God and saying, God, He is forgiven. I paid the penalty for His sin. Do not give Him the, the punishment that he deserves, you've put it on me, and the mercy is crying out from the blood of Jesus, and it is still crying out today of the blood of a better covenant than the blood of Abel. But let me warn you, if you do not receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you hear all these things of Easter, and that Jesus died on the cross, and you think, well, you know, that's good and well, but you know what, I don't need it. I don't believe it. It's not for me. Let me just warn you. What Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 is saying. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy in the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people as a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Let me share with you that if we find ourselves trampling the Son of God underfoot by rejecting this gospel, then we are, uh, have nothing to expect but the blood of Jesus crying out, Vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. According to the word of God, the worst sin that we could ever do is to reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ given on your behalf. The mercy of God. So that you would not have to face the punishment. So let me ask you, which one do we follow? Abel? Or do we follow the way of Cain? You're just pretending, being religious. I'm going to tell you, 
Sin will get in your heart and it will take you down a road you do not want to go. Or will it be one of faith, trusting in what Jesus Christ did for you as our lamb, slain for you? And that way, there is forgiveness. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you want to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you want to follow the way of Abel, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. You just follow what I'm saying, but make it your prayer in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I realize I've tried many ways to have some kind of peace of soul, some kind of peace with you. I did it on my terms, thinking that I just do the best that I can. I realize now that I'm very much like Cain, that in all my good attempts, it still does not nullify my selfishness. And there must be a price paid for my selfishness. God, I do not want to do this on my terms anymore. I accept your terms. That you sent your son, Jesus, who was and is a perfect lamb without sin, slain, to pay for the penalty of the sins of the world for all who will follow you. I believe that. I believe not only that he died, by faith I take that he rose again on the third day, proving that that sacrifice was received by you. And so, Lord, I want to take that well-received sacrifice and make it my own. Jesus, be my king. I will follow you. Thank you for forgiving me, dying for me, and rising again. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. If